Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. You know, life can be such a grind at times, and so we're here sharing God's Word with you to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the host of the Grind It Podcast, the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. Today we're going to check out Hebrews chapter 8 and... He just gets down to the nitty-gritty, the author of, of this book or this letter. And he says, after everything I've told y'all in the first seven chapters, here is my main point. And so he's going to repeat a lot of the stuff that he's been saying about Jesus. And, and here's the thing about people repeating something in Scripture they, they didn't have exclamation points and punctuation marks and, and commas and, and, and things like that. So what they did, they would repeat something. And if they, when you're reading scripture and Jesus did this, Paul did this, anytime they repeat a statement, pay very close attention to it because it is very, very important. They would repeat it to put emphasis on that point. And so, this guy, this author of the book of Hebrews, he says, here is my main point. And he's just going to repeat several things that he's already said several times in the first seven chapters. And he says, we have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. And there he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If if he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there there are already priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said... The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. On that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people." And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So what I want to do is just talk about some things to consider from uh, Hebrews chapter 8 and what we just read. And the first thing I want to talk about is the old system of worship 
the tabernacle. Uh, it was a copy of what was going on in heaven. And that's exactly what the Hebrew author says. God gave Moses specific instructions on how to build their tabernacle. And you can read those in Exodus 25 through 31. But God was very specific in his design in, 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 in certain heights and certain uh, cubits and certain widths and certain lengths and what to make this out of and, 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 and what to make that out of and, and cover it with this uh, bronze and gold and, and use this material and use this kind of material for this. And, and, and so God gave very specific instructions to, to, to Moses on how to build the tabernacle. Uh, the walls, uh, and I believe they were made of goat's hair, the, the gates, and there were 12 gates, the, the altar, the, the brazen laver, uh, the holy place, uh, which held the altar of incense and, and the, 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 the candlesticks, the, the table of showbread. Then, then you have the curtain that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies where, where God would, would reside uh, the mercy seat was behind that veil, behind that curtain. The Ark of the Covenant uh, that the mercy seat sat on. Uh, and, and there were uh, specific instructions of, of, of what was to go inside the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron's rod that budded. Uh, and I believe there was some bread uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. So my point is, God gave very specific instructions on how he is or was to be worshipped. And and I, I just want to say this. I'm not going to go into detail here uh, on this point. But God, it, it, he, he has shown us that He is a very detailed God. He gives specific instructions. And, and I, I don't, I, I, for the life of me, I, I don't understand why we want to go to God's Word and we get into the New Testament and we read where a question is asked or a command is given and we want to argue with what the Bible says. I mean, if it plainly says to do this, then why argue about it? Why even question it? Why, why not just do it and, and be done with it? Why do we have to have debates? Why do we have to have uh, uh, arguments? Why do we have to have discussions? Why do we have to spend hours upon hours upon hours uh, saying, no, that's not really what it means. It really means this. No, it, it, if it says to do this or don't do this, then do it or don't do it. God has given us specific instructions. All we have to do to go to heaven and be with God for eternity is follow his instructions. Just do what he says. Don't don't argue about it. Just do it. Just simply do it. I mean, that'd be like Moses when God was giving uh, him specific instructions, and he says, "Okay, I want you to use this material." Well, I mean, what would what what if Moses was said, "No, I don't want to use that material. Why can't we just use this material?" I don't think God really meant to use this material. Actually, I think we can just use this material right here. It, it, it's, it's less expensive. It doesn't cost as much. It's easier to get. It, it, it's more uh, plentiful. Whatever. 
But God gave Moses specific instructions on how to build the tabernacle and how to worship him. And it's no different in the New Testament. And if we want to go to heaven, then we should do what God says to do. To be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. If we want to worship God, then we should do exactly what God says for us to do. Why, why question it? Just do what he says. I, I, I remember a, a, a preacher that I used to sit under um, when I was going to Bible college. He would say, just do what they did and get what they got. It, it's that simple. Do what they did and get what they got. So, the, the Hebrew author says this tabernacle from the Old Testament, it was a copy of what was going on in heaven. Uh, and there, uh, there, there's some, I, I love to study the Old Testament and about the tabernacle. Uh, and, and I believe in the next chapter, he, he kind of goes into a whole lot of detail about the tabernacle. So we'll break that down in the next chapter. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about is this. Jesus, our high priest, he says, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So a, a, a far superior covenant or ministry. Uh, a far better covenant based on better promises. So you can see the message that he is trying to pound into their heads. Listen, Jesus is better. This new covenant is better. This this stuff that you're wanting to go to, it's 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 no good anymore. We now have Jesus. He is our high priest. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is better. This new covenant with Jesus is better. The promises that we have now, they are better. So why would you want to go back into Judaism that's basically empty and useless now? Um, but we've already discussed in previous podcasts since we've been doing the book of Hebrews about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father because he has mentioned this several times throughout these seven, the first seven chapters. But how Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in this place of authority and he's constantly making intercession for you and for me, if we're washed in his blood and we've made him our Lord and Savior and we're walking with him as the best we can on a daily basis. And so, I don't want to go back into that and discuss, rehash all that, but uh, I, I do want to say this. The new covenant is way better than the old covenant. Why? Because all the blood out of millions, and I'm sure it's in the millions, of animals that were sacrificed over and over and over again. The priests had to make sacrifices on a daily basis for themselves, their sacrifice, and for the people. The people are bringing sacrifices. Just millions of animals that were slain. Um, they could, I mean, if you were just take all of the blood, if you could just pile it up in the seas. And, and go dip yourself in that blood and just bathe yourself in it, which sounds gross, I know. It would never forgive one sin. 
You would be covered by the animal's blood, but your sins would remain because all the blood, if it was gathered up, it could never forgive one single sin. It only covered sin. But the blood of Jesus, it is so powerful that it washes away every sin. One drop of the blood of Jesus washes away every sin, past, present, and future, which makes it way better, this new covenant. In Luke twenty-two fourteen through 20, Jesus is gathering around with his disciples to, to eat that last Passover meal with them. And it says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table and Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I will eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's your sacrifice. What's going on in heaven? Then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. There's the sacrifice. My body is going to be broken on the cross. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said that this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, Jesus says, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This cup, this wine we're about to drink here, Jesus says, it, it, it's, it's a reminder. This is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. This powerful, you know, we uh Sing that hymn sometimes. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. It is so powerful. Just one drop of the blood of Jesus washes away all of our sin. It makes us whiter than snow. And, and therefore, this new covenant that Jesus has established by dying on the cross for our sins and being raised on the third day out of that tomb, and, and then ascending back to the Father and sits at the right hand, that new covenant is way better. And that's what he's trying to emphasize to his readers. The third thing that I want to uh, talk about is this. He says, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, and it goes on to, We'll cover those verses here in just a minute. But that makes it sound like the first covenant, the Old Testament, it, it had fault. And I don't think the fault lied within the uh, the the law or the old covenant. Um, but it it there was a need for a second covenant to replace it. Why? Well, if you think about it, God's law revealed what sin is. And that's what Paul talks about in his letters. 
We know what sin is because of the law that God has given us. Sin is basically not obeying God's commandments. If he says, don't do this, and then we turn around and do it, that's sin. If he says, do this, and we don't do it, that too is sin. And there's only one person, one, out of the millions, maybe billions of people that's ever walked the face of this earth, there's only one person that kept the law to perfection. And that was Jesus. And, and he did it so he could be our sacrifice. So what, what that shows us is that the law could be kept by a human being because Jesus was human. And the deal is the Jews who were living by the law, who were given the law, and even the priests, right, the, the priests who were making the sacrifices for the people, they dropped the ball. They were sinners. They could not follow the law. That's why the priests had to make sacrifices for themselves on a daily basis because even the priest could not keep the law. So the law then, it, 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 the law wasn't faultless in of itself, but the flaw came from the people because we did not follow the law. James chapter 2 verse 10, check this out. James says, for whoever keeps the whole law, I mean, you, you, you go out there and you try to keep the whole law. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, you, you go out there and you do all this stuff and you follow the law to a T. But if you stumble one time, if you just falter one time, you're guilty of breaking all of it. You make one mistake following the law, you are guilty of breaking all the law. And that shows you the power of Jesus Christ. He, he kept the law to a T. He never stumbled one time. He never sinned. And yet here we are as people or Jews of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, because the temple is still standing at this point, and they're trying to follow the law, and you got all these religious people walking around, these Pharisees, and they got their noses in the air because they think they're better than everybody else. And that's what Jesus was trying to say to them in the gospel. He's like, dude, y'all are a bunch of sinners. You, you, you're not keeping the law, and you even take, you have taken the law, and you're, you've made interpretations of the law, and you're making your interpretation of the law even more powerful than the law, and y'all can't even keep those. You're, you're sinners. And, 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 and James says, if we stumble one time, we're guilty of the whole law, breaking the whole law. And so, Therefore, the fault then came with the people, not with God's law, but with the people because we dropped the ball. We're going to stumble more than once. Therefore, we would be guilty of breaking all of God's law. And now Jesus has come along and says, I'm not going to hold you responsible for that. I am going to shed my blood so that you can be forgiven for your sin. Alright, so uh, a fourth thing that I want to talk about is this. 
and this is going to be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people listening to um, this podcast and, and, and reading what the Hebrew author says because we, we live in this uh, age of where it's, it's all about grace and it's all about mercy and hey, God is love and he loves us and nothing can separate us from God's love, which is true. That's what Paul says in Romans. But we're all about God's love and his grace and his mercy. But I want you to think about something. Israel was the apple of God's eye. Israel was what God calls his choicest vine in the Old Testament. And and here's the thing. God turned his back on Israel. His very own chosen people. The Hebrew author says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people. And he's quoting Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. And he goes on to say some other things. But he's going back... In time before um, the Babylonian army and Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys Jerusalem and basically wipes him off the face of the earth and destroys the first temple that was built, which would later on be rebuilt. And then it's going to be, it's still standing at the point when this letter was being written, but it will soon be destroyed in AD 70. But uh, he go, the, the Hebrew author goes back and he quotes Jeremiah. And 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 if just a brief history lesson of the Old Testament, we have the the Hebrew people. They cry out for over four hundred years while they're in bondage in Egypt, crying out to God, "Deliver us! Deliver us! Deliver us! Please get us out of here!" And then he he comes along, he delivers them using Moses, and God says, "I I took them by the hand, I provided food and drink as they traveled, and I gave them protection." Uh, the cloud by day and the fire by night, the manna, uh, the quail, water, uh, the bitter water made sweet when, when Moses threw the branch in, water from the rock, um, honey, all this stuff. God says, I, I, I did everything I could for these people, but yet they rebelled against me and they chose, right? The people chose to live in sin. They chose not to keep my commandments. And while they were living in sin... Here was the problem. They still did their religious duties and and, and and made their sacrifices. In other words, they were playing church, but their heart wasn't in it. They were living in sin, and yet they were still trying to come to church and do the church thing, then go back home and live in sin. And I, w- I want to share a passage from Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 27, that shows how God was about to turn his back on it. He gave them warning, warning after warning. That's why you have the prophets in the Old Testament. They're warning the people, turn from your wicked ways. Repent of your sin, and God will spare you. But they didn't do it. They did not do it. And that's when God allowed Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come in and destroy Jerusalem and the first temple. But in Amos 5, 21-27, God says this to his people. His choicest vine, his chosen people, the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, that would be the Jews. He says, I hate 
all your sh- uh, your show and pretense. God says, I hate it. You're just you're just putting on a show. Your heart is not in it, and I hate it. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I mean, they're gathering together and we're, we're here to worship God and, and, and we're having our festivals and to show how much we love God. And God says, I hate it. It's all a show. And then he says, I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I, I, I won't even listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. God says, I don't care about all this stuff. I want your hearts. I don't have your hearts. I just have a bunch of shows going on. And, and your heart is far from me. Turn back to me. Give me your heart. Not your uh, uh, your shows and your you know your sacrifices that doesn't mean anything because I don't have your, you can sing all these praise and worship songs that you want to you can raise your hands in the air you can cry whatever, but if your heart and that's what God is saying your heart it, it, it's it's nowhere near me it's too full of sin. And this is all a facade. It's all a show. It does not mean anything. And God says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living. And he says, was it me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you served your pagan god, Sekuth, your king god, and Kawan, your star god. The images you made for yourselves. So I will send you into the into exile to a land east of Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of heaven's armies. And that's exactly what happens when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and kills men, women, children, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, kids. I mean, just wipes them out. And the people that, that were lucky enough to, to not be killed, they were uh, carried off back into Babylon and scattered among uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, land for 70 years the land sat empty and desolate and that's when uh, the, uh, when King Cyrus had taken over uh, the territories he's going to allow them to go back and rebuild um, Jerusalem and the temple and the walls which is Nehemiah the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament but this is a stern warning to the audience of the book of Hebrews. He is emphasizing that Jesus is better. There is a new covenant that is far better than the old. Jesus is the high priest who is sitting at God's on God's throne in this place of honor at the Father's right hand and he's making intercession for us. So stick with Jesus because we have an example from our ancestors in the Old Testament of what will happen if we do not remain faithful. God will turn his back to us. I don't think anybody wants God to turn his back to them. I know I don't. And I'm sure you don't either. So, the, the last thing I want to talk about is this. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete 
This is what the Hebrew author says. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So I don't know if that was a prophecy from this guy. I don't know if he knew that the temple was going to be destroyed. I don't know. But that's exactly what's going to uh, um, end up happening. In AD 70, and I've covered this in a, a, a podcast in the past, because I, I even read an eyewitness account that was there when the temple was destroyed and nothing was left. Just like Jesus said it was going to happen. But at, at the time the author is writing this letter, the temple is still standing. And this you can google the dimensions of this temple i mean it was absolutely ginormous and the walls that surrounded it was ginormous it was just huge humongous and as big as it was it's empty and useless because god is no longer there so when you go back and 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 read about when the Old Test in the Old Testament when God gave Moses all those um, uh, descriptions and, and instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And Moses completes the tabernacle. God comes down in the form of a cloud and fills the tabernacle. The same thing happens when Solomon builds the temple, the first temple. God comes down in the form of a cloud and fills the temple and people could physically see with their eyes this cloud and knew that God was visiting his people and now since Jesus has come and died on the cross resurrected and ascended back to the father and if you remember when Jesus died on the cross the veil of the temple that curtain that real thick curtain was ripped from top to bottom signifying that now man has direct access to God we don't have to have a, a priest interceding on our behalf because we have a high priest interceding on our behalf sitting at the right hand of the father and that's Jesus he's already there and that's what he said in the last chapter he's already there he's already gone before us and so we have direct access to God. And God is no longer coming down and visiting His people in the temple. All those sacrifices that are being made are useless. They, they mean nothing. Because Jesus is and was the once and for all sacrifice that was made on our behalf. God, as is, is majestic as the temple is and was, the Hebrew author is saying, God's no longer there. This building, it's... it's it's, it's useless. It's just a gathering place now. And it, you can go through all these religious ceremonies, but they mean nothing. Because there is a new covenant. It's a better covenant. Established by the blood of God's very own Son, the Messiah that we've been looking for for all this time. He made a once and for all sacrifice, and because of the blood that He shed... Our sins can be forgiven. Therefore, this new covenant is far greater. It is better than the old covenant. And, and that is the message that he is trying his best to convey to his readers. Because they're going back into Judaism. And he's saying, why do you want to go back into this empty religion that means nothing? 
when you already have Jesus, you already have the blood of this sacrifice that he has made, the, the only person that can save you from your sins, the only person that can forgive your sins, the only way into heaven, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man coming to the Father but by me. And so he's saying, why would you want to leave Jesus to go back into something that's empty and useless? Stick with Jesus. That stuff is obsolete. It's, it's, it's no longer any good. It served its purpose. It's done. It's over with. Because there is a better way. Based on better promises. And we have a better high priest. And we have a better covenant. That is based on Jesus' blood. That is so powerful that washes away our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins if we stick with Jesus. And that's what he's encouraging them to do, to stick with Jesus. Don't leave. Keep. I know, I know you're suffering persecution. I know it's hard. I know you've lost everything. I know you've been put in jail. I know you've been beaten. But it's going to be worth it if you'll stay with Jesus. Because when you take your last breath, you're going to be with Him in heaven for eternity. And it's the same thing with us today. We may not be persecuted here in the United States. Maybe a little. There's always exceptions. But life is hard. But, where are we going to go if we turn from Jesus? Why would we turn our back on Jesus, the one who loves us so much that he was willing to die for our sins. Why would we turn our back on such great love? But yet people do it every day. <clears throat> and I just want to encourage you, just like the, the, the Hebrew author was encouraging his audience to stay with Jesus. Don't run from Jesus. Run to Jesus. And that's what he says in earlier uh, chapters. When he says, run to God, go before the throne of God so that you can find help in time of need. And if you have a need, if you're struggling, you're going through something, you're battling anything, and if we can pray for you, we can encourage you in any way, please contact us here at thegrinditpodcast at gmail.com and we will pray for you. I will respond to your emails. If, if you're not local, I will find somebody in your area that can help you with your situation. But please, run to Jesus. Don't run from Jesus. Stick with Jesus because in the end, you'll be glad you did. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. And we'll join back together on the next podcast with Hebrews chapter 9 where he breaks down the tabernacle. And I can't wait because I absolutely love the Old Testament. I, I love talking about the Old Testament because there's so many great lessons for us that we can learn from. But God bless you. Have a great day and keep grinding. Thank you for listening to the Grinded Podcast today. May God bless you. If you have any comments or questions, you can email them to us at thegrinditpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like Randy to come and speak at your church or your next event, you can contact him through that same email address. 
Also, I would like to thank Jody Foster's Army, also known as JFA, for their song, Abba, as we use for our intro and our outro off their untitled 1984 album. May God bless you, and remember, keep your eyes on Jesus and keep grinding.